0: Welcome to Buzzed in Baltimore, the podcast about craft beverages in Maryland. I am here with Enrique Pairas, the general director of the Wine Collective, and I'm so excited because we are doing this in person and that hasn't happened a while. So thank you so much for having me into your beautiful facility.
1: Thank you, thank you, Jess. Thanks so much for coming and I am I am equally excited that things feel a little bit more normal.
0: Yeah, exactly. For those that don't know, the Wine Collective is part of Union Collective, which is easy to remember because of the name. And I just, I wanted to get to know you because I hadn't had a chance to even be in this facility because you guys opened, or were supposed to open in March of 2020. And I know that timing was terrible. So how are you feeling just in general about the state of things?
1: Yeah, well, much, much better now. It was, it really was a crazy thing. You know, we we were, our, our grand opening was supposed to be March 21st of 2020. Oh my gosh. And I don't know if you remember what happened back then. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was it was a crazy thing. And, and we, you know, it's taken a lot of grit to kind of get through it. Uh, but we're feeling really good about it now. You know, uh, most of our staff is already all vaccinated. Um, That's amazing. And I think, you know, more and more customers feel comfortable with coming out. And I think our space... P- feels pretty safe too so
0: yeah and you do have this sort of big industrial space it's not like right. an intimate tiny bar that you might feel a little bit more uncomfortable in so yeah. that that's to your advantage well I wanted to just sort of get to know you a little bit and I, I know your background it sounds fascinating you've you've lived all over the world you're from Ecuador but you've lived in Argentina you've lived in Spain um, yeah. and then life kind of brought you to the eastern shore of Maryland so I was just curious how you landed in Maryland after yeah. all that life experience
1: yeah no totally I'm and I think it's it's even it's even hard for me to retell the story because it's been crazy and it's been a lot of a lot of travels and sort of a, a sort of a gypsy life. But yeah, we grew up in Ecuador. We're from an Ecuadorian family whose heritage is once upon a time, you know, kind of Spanish, Portuguese. Um, but we we grew up there. Uh, we always felt from Ecuador. Never thought that we were going to leave. Um, then when I was, uh, 17, I, my family stayed behind, but I went to Argentina and I finished high school oh, wow. in Argentina. And the reason for that was that by, but, um, we're a, a family of polo players. Okay. Um, so we've been very close to horses our whole life and to farms and to, and to nature in general. But, um. Uh, at that point in my life, I wanted to be a professional polo player. Mm. Uh, so I went to Argentina, which is like, you know, it's like going to... The polo um, yeah, capital. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. The, so, yeah. so I went to play there and then, you know, my lived there for a couple of years. And then my brother and I played professional polo for about uh, five or six years. Wow. And that took us to travel kind of all over the, the place. Uh, we, you know, it took us well, first in Argentina, then in the U.S., all, all over the U.S. from, you know, California, New York, Chicago, Texas, Florida—all sorts of different, different places. Wyoming, which what is a beautiful.
0: great excuse to see the world!
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like
0: anywhere that had horses, we we would go.
1: That, no, that's right, that's right, and the, that's kind of the way that, that 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 sport works. You get hired to play in different places, but but um, but throughout that time, you know, it's um, for us. We come from a family that grew up around the kitchen table, mm-hmm. um, and so we felt always very close to food and to wine, and we were already. A lot of the travels were in wonderful wine regions. Uh, at some point, we landed in Northern California, and that's when my brother st- started studying viticulture, and we had this idea of, at some point, owning a winery in Sonoma. And, uh, you know, eventually we... Kind of that that fell through the wayside, um, you know... Um, Owning, owning a winery in California is, is very, is the entry ticket is very a little competitive out there, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, it's like the land is almost, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's very packed. Um, right. And, um, and so anyways, we ended up coming, I, I came originally to the East coast to New York city. I lived there for about four years, um, where I did, um, some studies in literature and philosophy and ended up actually coming to, to the, to the mid Atlantic region because of that originally. Oh wow! Um, For school or it, yeah, I did a, at some point. I did a PhD in philosophy. At
0: so, some point, I got so, my PhD. Just as an so, aside,
1: which I still have to turn in the dissertation, by the way. <laughs> but uh, there's so uh, no,
0: I feel like there's so many PhD candidates that say that they're no, like I did everything except that one yeah, last part. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's it's a it's a common it's a common issue, and I still I still think I will at some point, but we'll see. Um, but uh, but that's when we kind of landed in this area and. When I first heard about Maryland wine, my reaction was similar to what most people's reaction is. You know, like, what, what is that?
0: Right. Don't, they don't take it seriously. Right. They don't, it's an oxymoron. Right. Yeah, Whatever exactly. you want to say. Yeah. Until
1: I tried a couple of, of the wineries that, that were making wine in this area and, um, and uh, some stuff was really good. And I said, well, if, if these guys are doing this here. We can we can do this. This is what we've always wanted to do anyways. And that's when, with my brother and my wife, we we started um, devising the plan and bought our, a little plot of land on the Eastern Shore. And that's when we started working on, on our first project, uh, Casa Carmen. And that is how we made, made, ultimately met our partner, John Levenberg. Uh,
0: and that winery is in Chestertown on the yeah. Eastern Shore? Mm-hmm. That's So So, where do you sort of feel, because you're right, a lot of people don't take Maryland wine seriously, especially five, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, So where do you feel like the state of Maryland wine is right now? Do you think that that perception has changed and and what sort of helped
1: that? It's definitely still still in the works. I think that the industry in in i think maryland is still struggling a little bit to find its true identity in the world of wine yeah however i'm also not a full believer on separating virginia maryland pennsylvania and new york in terms of wine because the way i see it is one big terroir with many subregions or one big region with many subterroirs if you will yeah that and you know the the state distinctions are a little bit more more political than 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 geographical with the exception perhaps of the potomac
0: right <laughs> <You know>? right <laughs> but,
1: but <laughs> But um, but so I think that the industry is in a place where where it's um, we have figured out some things and that's really important. We figured out that there's that there's some stuff like like Cabernet Franc and and Viognier that grow really really mm-hmm. well. Um, some people are growing some uh, you know great uh, Gruner Veltliners and uh, and uh, Sauvignon Blanc and uh, there's some sites that do really nice Petit Verdot um, that. We are also st- still learning how to use hybrids, and this has been a very a very big thing, I think. Yeah. Because uh, when you start trying to use hybrids for that which they are not adequate, mm-hmm. you end up with a mediocre wine. But when you use them in particular ways, um, they they can be great. They can be great. Um, and I think that those kinds of uh, projects are on the rise. More and more people are paying paying attention to. I think the natural wine world, which is a which is a great thing. Yeah. Um,
0: I-, I think people too, their palates are more able to embrace the funk of natural wines a little yeah. bit and the people are a little more adventurous, which I think helps winemakers think yeah. outside the box a little bit too. Absolutely.
1: And that's kind of our idea behind this. We're always trying to make wines that are uh, sustainable and uh, low intervention with, with a vision to quality, right? Right. So we, we walk a little bit of a, uh, the, the middle of the road uh, in some ways between conventional wine and natural wine. Yeah. where where we are, uh, we want to prevent wines from falling into faults. We don't mind a little bit of of of, of funk and just kind of like letting letting grapes really be who they are. Right. And um, so we always try to intervene the least possible, but we will um, we will lightly intervene if there's if it's necessary. Um, I think to prevent you know volatile acidity from getting out of whack. or right.
0: something like You're that, Right. You're not such purists that if you know it'll improve the wine, you will.
1: We are purists about our Kixotic quest for quality.
0: Right, right. Well, so let's talk about <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. concept of the Wine Club because it's yeah. so unique. You're, you're not a winery. You're obviously not a vineyard. You're right here in Baltimore City. Sure. So just tell people how it works and and just sort of the communal co-op aspect of it.
1: Yeah, Totally. You know, this this project was born out of collaboration between our family and John Levenberg's family. Mm -hmm. Um, We became friends when he first started helping us make wine with our uh, winery in the Eastern Shore with Casa Carmen. And we basically just started drinking a lot of wine together and uh, started talking about things that this industry needed, uh, things that we needed to make the best wine possible in this part of the world. And uh, it very clearly became apparent that that collaboration was at the heart of, of, of all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we did is we started talking to some farmers that were growing but that would perhaps not find the right buyers every year and/or that were switching buyers and that and and you know the, the wine really begins in the vineyard from, right. from the very early stages. So so what we said is let's get all of these all the farmers together let's do basically like a collective of people that we work with very closely we visit their vineyards many many times a month during the growing season to to really grow together with that aim of quality at the end mm-hmm. with trying to do things as sustainable as possible throughout the whole process and um and then let's bring those grapes and let's do the process from a to z right here under one roof in a in a warehouse in baltimore i mean Nothing seems crazier and better than that. No, it's
0: such a it's such a great idea. Do you think there's an advantage that you guys have from working with all these different farmers and maybe like learning? Like there's this like cross pollination of people in here that can probably all learn from each other. I would think.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah. we have that that type of contact and conversation all the time. And um, and and what's cool about it, it also discloses, I think, the extent to which to which this is wine, big wine, wine region with a lot of little sub regions that have special little things within them. And you can taste that in, in, a, in our wines. I mean, we'll have, you know, Viognier from a couple of different places or, or, or Cab Franc from a couple of different places. And, and you really, you know, it's, it's the differences between like something growing in the coastal plains of the Chesapeake to like growing in the, in the side of the mountains mm-hmm. uh, next to the Potomac. And it doesn't it really, matter
0: which state. It's more about those exactly. Regions. It's more about
1: the geography, and and I love to kind of understand the Mid Atlantic as one big wine making region that people can kind of freely tour and get to know. Yeah. And 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 these and our concept, I think, allows for that while still, I think, teaching people about the distinctiveness of each little site. You know. So
0: the wineries that you work with, do they stretch from like? new york to virginia like what's sort of your, your yeah we don't
1: quite make it up to new york but uh but yeah we basically we we follow a, a general rule of thumb which is within a hundred miles of the winery
0: okay
1: um if we found a phenomenal farmer that was a little bit beyond that we're probably miles. yeah exactly it's like that, that that sounds you know we're not we're not we're not crazy ideologues about anything so. exactly <laughs> but yeah. uh, but we but you know we generally try to stay as close as possible yeah uh, to sense. here yeah
0: and what's cool about your concept is so you obviously had the concept before you found the location here mm-hmm. at Union Collective yep. but the idea of being a collective, being collaborative, obviously, is in the DNA of this place and how it was developed. So when you found this location, was it just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what a good match this is?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, John and I had been talking about um, creating a really top-of-the-line winery here. And then one day he called me and he said, uh, you got to come out to this place <laughs> that oh. I that I saw. And, and uh, he was here. And, um, you know, we I came down to see it. And it was very apparent to us that this was that this was the right place because of the of that kind of idea of of collaboration that is from the from the very beginning and uh, and we have you know we have it's great i mean you have a lot of food beverage producers of different manufacturers of different kind and those are people that tend to pay a lot of attention to their mouth and their nose Right. So, you know, you can walk down the hallway with, with, a, with, with, a, with a glass of wine and say, like, <laughs> hey, what do you think about this? You know, do you think this is okay? Do you think there's something wrong with it? And then you get that feedback from from a really kind of, like, thoughtful and well-informed palate. Right. Uh, even though, they, you know, they might not be winemakers per se, you know, our friends at Vent or at Baltimore Spirits Company or at yeah. any of the other places and, uh, they they pay a lot of attention to to tastes and to, and to smells. And that's, that's all you need to do to yeah. enjoy wine. They're passionate yeah. about
0: it. And maybe they could bring something to the wine world from the coffee world. That would be interesting or oh, totally. the whiskey world or whatever.
1: Yeah. And and that's kind of what we've done with, with, uh, with, uh, with vermouth, uh, with, you know, it's, it's, it's in part a collaboration with Baltimore spirits company.
0: Oh, that's so um, cool. Well, I'm so excited to talk about that yeah, product. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe there's we'll get to it. vermouth yeah. being made. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, So you took me on a little tour before we started the podcast, and I know that you're going to slowly, hopefully bring tours for people to take now that things are a little uh, loosening up a little bit. Um, And you showed me this amazing press you guys have that's the only one of its kind in North America. You have some like really cool mechanical, state-of-the-art equipment. So can you talk about the innovation and techniques that are happening here that people might not necessarily know about because it's kind of back of the house stuff, but things that make a difference on the wine that you end up producing.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, anywhere from the press, our press is, I think the cool thing about it is that it's a fully anaerobic press. And so what that means is that basically there's no contact with oxygen when the grapes are being pressed. So there's no, there's no oxidation happening at all. So, you have wines that really preserve their aromas in an in an incredible way uh, I, yeah, I've, we saw, never, i yeah. it's
0: amazing if you smell these wines guys like it's they're bursting out of the glass just right up your nose it's, it's yeah, yeah. nothing that I've ever smelled before. It's really cool,
1: yeah, 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 it really is We're super proud of them, and then you know there we have other things like you know our 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 tanks were custom made, John worked with the tank manufacturers to do specific little things that would allow. As to just make superior wines, for instance, you know, like a, spe- a special like seed draining system for the reds so that if seeds are under ripe, we can drain them without them fermenting with the wine. Right. So kind of techniques that are non- non-chemical that have to do nothing with additions to the wine, but that are more just just thoughtful in yeah. advance to make to make better wines
0: and more right? more kind of the mechanics of wine yeah. um, and just these really cool innovations that end up making it taste better without you having to add any preservatives or exactly. additives that and this is a question I just thought of so sorry if this is sort of weird but is there something is there a parallel between making wines a certain way and how you feel the next day after drinking (laughs) wines.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I think everything that you put in your body, you, you feel it. Right. Uh, You know, and, and, and I think that when the more, the more that you drink the right stuff, I think the better that you're going to feel. I don't know that there are any studies about this, but, but I myself have done plenty of research. (laughs) You're like,
0: I've done some (laughs) personal studies.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. And my wife also all the time says that, that we should, uh, we should uh, market uh, vermouth as, as, hangover free because she she can drink it all the time and, and is never never feels bad the next day and and you know she'll swear by it and I was like oh yeah
0: honestly we um I'm so glad you got up vermouth because I felt the same way my husband and I did a trip to Spain and we were with our two family members and just had such a great time we started in Madrid we ended up staying most of the time in Malaga down south and we would after dinner go to these bars and everyone was just drinking vermouth on ice and would wake up the next day and like not feel that bad for having plenty of after dinner drinks, you know? Yes. And I just, I think vermouth is, is really cool and I'm so glad that it's being produced in, in Baltimore now. So can you just talk about the beauty of vermouth, why you, why you wanted to bring it to Baltimore and just what you're hoping sort of the reception will be that now, because you've released it a couple months ago February, now. February, yeah. Yeah, February.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So vermouth is, uh, you know, for those that don't know what it is, vermouth is an aromatized and fortified wine. By aromatized, we basically mean that, and by fortified, basically what happens is that you have your wine, and then you have, you've distilled some of the wine to make it into like clear grape brandy. Mm-hmm. And then to that brandy, you add a bunch of herbs, natural herbs and fruits and, and citrus peels and things like this. We use all natural ingredients. So not, no, like, no additives or colorants or anything like that. And then after you leave them there, basically steeping and, and, and getting infused, uh, for, we do that for about three weeks to a month. Then we, we, we press that and then you have what's called a tincture. Mm. Right. And then you add that tincture to the base wine and that is your vermouth. Wow. But you're going to think that everything that is in those um, in those herbs, these are all herbs that on their own are sold as medicinal herbs. Mm. I mean, from from this vermouth, for example, or our, the one that we have released now, vermouth rosé. You know, from cinchona bark, which was the original cure for malaria, right. uh, to, you know, uh, gentiana lutea and uh, chamomile flowers. You know, chamomile is what my grandma used to give me when I was sick in the stomach when I was a little boy. I still you know? drink
0: it when I'm sick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: so there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of really like medicinal teas basically joining the wine and, and turning it into something, I think, more than the sum of its parts. And what that is, is that it's ultimately a way of life. I mean, aperitivo culture and vermouth culture in Spain, what is remarkable about it is that it's it really is a way of life. This is not this is not a vice. This is part of the world of food. It is oh. part of what you do and how you understand the world and how you understand others. And Vermouth culture is a little bit like um and this is part of why my my not so secret mission in life is to is to is to Teach America to drink vermouth because <laughs> because it really is, is, is something that makes you feel like life is not as heavy as it seems right exactly. you know it makes you realize that there are that there are just good things right there in front of you and that you don't have to worry too much about any of it and that's and that really is what aperitivo culture is all about um, you know it's that you can that every day you can add, in the middle of the day you can go out for a lunch and enjoy a little glass of vermouth right and it doesn't mean that you are now on a binge
0: right. Right,
1: You know, you can actually go back to work afterwards and be fine and be just a little, you know, happier throughout your day.
0: Right, because it's not, vermouth isn't this super strong liquor or something that you're meant to have eight glasses of. It's, it's, I mean, or you can, but I'm just saying it's, it's a more, it feels more relaxed to drink.
1: Yeah, and you can, and so it's, it's a, it's a low ABV cocktail in a bottle, right? Right. Uh, because it has the spirit, it has the herbs, it has the sweet, it has the wine, it has all of this stuff that you normally make a cocktail with. Yeah. Uh, But the cool thing about it, too, is that the way that it's drunk in Spain, and that's what we do here at The Collective, is, uh, you know, you get your glass with ice. Mm -hmm. The vermouth is poured on on the glass, you know, with a wedge of orange and a a little olive. uh, And then you have a a, a siphon of, uh, of bubbly water right and then if you want you can add a little bit to it or you can add a lot to it to spritz it up but it all depends on how you're feeling right. let's say it's the middle of the day and you just want something really fresh and very low in alcohol well you do something like half half you know yeah. or you want something a little more concentrated and you don't add anything yeah so you can self regulate that that's, way
0: that's that's because, a really that's yeah. really nice especially yeah, being here and I mean, I'm sure you get are going to get all different kinds of customers who want to drink all different kinds of ways, and, and yeah. they can kind of customize it for themselves. Do you feel like marketing vermouth has been easy? Do you think people are excited and ready for it here, or how do you feel like that's worked so yeah, far? Yeah,
1: I do. I feel that like people are totally ready. Uh, look, we come. The funny thing about vermouth is that it's it comes on the tail end of the you know the so called gin revolution first, which mm. is starts paying a lot of attention to botanicals, and then this amaro craze of the past few years. Right. Uh, so and, and vermouth is the is the first cousin of both gin and amaro. Yeah. You know, only now you introduce the wine to it. Yeah. And so you're even at a lower alcohol level. And what's nice about vermouth is that wine brings that acidity to, mm-hmm. to, to, to into play that um that, uh, that yeah gin and gins and amaros don't really have. And they, and then so you create a triangle of taste in your mouth of balance, which is bitter, bitter sweet, and, and acid. acid yep. and that is that is uh, just a feast in your mouth. Perfect, <laughs> it's perfect. right? Yeah, yeah, especially
0: yeah. with those herbal notes. Yeah, there was yeah. gin and tonics were huge in Spain too. Oh yeah, yeah. people oh love gosh. gin and tonics, yeah. and they were, they in, were a huge, and in a wine huge. glass, literally yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, and yeah. They would have like candy garnishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh and my they gosh, have all sorts of stuff. It yeah. was great. Yeah, I'm just so glad we have a place that feels like the drinking culture of Spain here. And there's, there's a couple of great tapas restaurants in Baltimore too, of course, but um, this is really adding something to the fold, which is really nice. Yeah. I love what you've said before about, and you started out by saying you grew up at the kitchen table and you just think in general, like wine is the thing that brings people to the dinner table. So what do you think it is about wine in general that just feels so universal? So relaxing. It's never gone out of style. It probably never will. Um, What, what is it about wine?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that, uh, what happens at the dinner table is that... Is the, and, and this is what happens with wine, which is that it's, it's the summit of, of the human experience. Mm. Because it is the moment at which we have ceased to be nomads. Uh, we have learned agriculture. We have started to farm. Mm. And we have farmed not just for subsistence, but for something beyond, for enjoyment. And that all, all culminates on to, uh, at the dinner table when we turn our gaze from the hard work of our hands to each other's eyes. Mm. And that is the moment in which we, we recognize the other and we say cheers. And, you know, we recognize that we are now, that we are now in a different realm that we're, that we are, is the most, I think, divine part of human beings, you know, where we, where we really realize that we're not just animals working for subsistence, but that we do something else. We do this thing that is play and feasting.
0: Enjoyment. Enjoyment. Yeah. It's so interesting what you said about the land, because that's so true. It's, no longer the doing something for the need, but maybe for the want, and yeah. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I've absolutely. never thought about it like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and there's something special about grapes. You know, grapes really are are, are the level of complexity that you get that you get in, in 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 the different wines. It's I think it's truly it's truly remarkable. It's like it really is like um, I, I think a gift from. From the divine
0: yeah. you know, to, well, many, to
1: humans. is a pact between the gods and, and humans.
0: Many uh, <laughs> painters that have come before us would have said the absolutely, same thing. Absolutely. So.
1: And they, there's no, I don't think it's a coincidence that there's like many religions that where wine also plays a sort of like sacramental oh, role. Yeah, right. yeah. It's and, huge. And, and a lot of traditional cultures. And and I think, yeah, I agree with you that wine is never going to go out of style.
0: Yeah. yeah. People aren't drinking light beer when they take communion. Light yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, when course. they're taking communion, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of wine, I wanted to do um, sort of a, segment that i do with everyone at the end of the podcast just a little rapid fire to kind of go through your products and let everyone know what they can taste when they come here or sure. buy online right people can get the products online yeah people well. can buy
1: online uh and uh the cool thing too is that we do free delivery in all of maryland and dc oh
0: that's amazing
1: and you'll get it in one or two days um
0: that's so, so great that it's free though yeah it's a piece it's too. been
1: we've we make a big effort to make that happen because delivering alcohol is, is kind of a, a crazy world of its own. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we, we make a big effort to make it happen because we, we, we want people to really be able to buy these products and to have access to them. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. And
0: especially if you're using grapes from 100 miles away, mm-hmm. you can get people that live closer to those regions yeah. to try what's right near them. Totally. That's cool. So what would you say is the best seller at the Wine Collective right now?
1: So I would say that there's two. Probably our 2019 rosé, okay, uh, which is a Provence style rosé, uh, very kind of crisp and uh, apricot notes, mm-hmm. and then the Nomad, which is a which is a red blend of uh, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Syrah, and Tanat. Wow! And it's called Nomad because of that, because it's like all these different varietals that you normally don't find together. Right. But it is a beautiful like. Yeah, when you said
0: that combination, yeah. I was like, it's hard to imagine it, but yeah, it sounds really cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you a glass before you go today. That sounds good. Uh, and where?
0: what regions are those uh, two from?
1: So the, the 2019 Rosé is from a vineyard on the Eastern Shore mm. uh, in Churchill, Maryland. And the Nomad is from a winery in Virginia, on the border of Virginia and Maryland, right on the on the um, border of the Potomac. They're a beautiful, the sweet beautiful spot. site. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so yeah. great.
0: Okay, and then yeah. what is um, something that, I call it biggest surprise. It could have been something that surprised you or maybe surprised your customers.
1: Well, something that uh, surprised us is our Pinot Gris. Mm. Uh, Pinot Gris, it's, it comes from a, a vineyard in Southern Pennsylvania and called Stag and Thistle, a wonderful site. And the, every year is done the same thing which is, you know, Pinot Gris, you think about Pinot Gris and you think about something very crisp, almost slightly too thin, mm-hmm. you know? A, very, a wine that almost just kind of disappears.
0: Yeah, exactly. No finish. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, this one is not like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually, and it did something very bizarre in fermentation that it started, it seemed like it was going in the wrong way. Hmm. And we're like, oh, what's, what's, what's happening with this wine? There's something bizarre happening. And then the wine itself started coming out of that, of that uh, weird funk that it had but it emerged with like notes of caramel. Wow. And with some weight in the palate and maybe some, even some, some honey in it. So it's actually a Pinot Gris full of, full of expression and different layers. And uh, we thought it was a kind of a one bizarre year, the first year that that happened. And then it happened again this year. Wow. And so, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, that was a surprise, definitely. And how yeah, do you explain pleasant. stuff
0: like that when you just—it's just the you know—you probably
1: have to talk to John about the, the yeah. microbiology of how of how that happens, and I'm sure he has an explanation. But I because
0: he he studied at UC Davis, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: John is you know UC Davis a winemaker, Napa winemaker, uh, he came to the East Coast and do some consulting, and that's kind of how we originally met.
0: So uh, he's the he's the one that can talk about sort of the science yeah he's everything. the
1: actual genius behind it I'm, wow. I'm just I'm just chatting
0: yeah. <laughs> there's there's creative genius there's scientific genius there's, there's all, all kinds of things. genius sure, sure, yeah. um and that's interesting too because Maryland wine for a long time was known in a bad way as being sweet for some unnatural sweetness that would be added yeah. to these grapes and so to get sort of a natural little bit of sweetness that you're talking about from a honey yeah um, is, it that's really nice because it's it's not an additive it's just how it
1: Yeah, yeah, and they are all, and it's all 0% residual sugar. They actually, everything has been all the sugar fully fermented. It's just, it's just, there's, there's some, there's some notes to it that kind of tricks your brain into feeling sweetness when there's actually no... Sure. It's remarkable. That's,
0: that's the ideal. That's what you want, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I think I know what you're going to say for this one, but your, your favorite uh, to produce, (laughs) and we've been talking about it. So I think I have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I am partial. I am partial to vermouth, of course. Yeah. So it's so close to my heart. I think, I think also these particular vermouth, vermouth rosé, it's, it is just so versatile. It ended up exactly, I wanted the first vermouth that we released. I wanted it to be very versatile because I know that, um, I want it to be kind of a demagogic vermouth of mm. sorts, right? Something that appeals to everybody. Yeah. In the sense that, because I don't want to create a hard entry level,
0: right? The first right, with one with something
1: to too be... esoteric. Yeah. Uh, so what, what you know, this vermouth is something that is, it's kind of like, it's like a sort of the apparel of the wor- of the of vermouths in mm. some ways, right? Where it's like, it, you can put it in so many different things. You can do spritz with it. You can have a have it on its own. I drink it on its own all the time, and it's delicious because it's not too sweet at all. Yeah. Um, or have
0: so, it with that soda water like you were talking with
1: about. With soda water, I've, I, it does it does a fantastic Negroni
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a great uh, Marianito Preparado. A Marianito Preparado is a phenomenal cocktail if you've...
0: No, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that one.
1: It's, it's the Basque take on Negroni, basically. Okay. But it is it's basically, instead of being like three equal parts of, you know, Campari, uh, vermouth, vermouth, and gin, right. it is all vermouth on ice with a splash of gin or hmm. a splash of Campari... And uh, uh, and uh, and then the garnish of the olive and the and the orange and the orange oh that's
0: sounds and that's very pl- good.
1: it's it's delicious it's really it's really wonderful yeah and and, and this this vermouth does great with those cocktails
0: that yeah. might have to be my summer cocktail that sounds very good <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah.
0: and then I've been asking people too if COVID disappeared tomorrow which hopefully we're getting to the close point where we can get inoculated sort of what would your perfect night in Baltimore look like I don't know if you've been able to spend too much time here yeah. or you know what you've gotten to know since you've lived here
1: yeah I mean I don't know I think I would just throw myself on the street uh, <laughs> without without a plan and see where the night leads you know I definitely have some spots that I that I like to go to be before the pandemic hit, and uh, and that I've, and a couple that I have gone recently, including um, kind of our our friend Ellen Cotts's, uh Orto, mm, which is yeah. which is a fantastic restaurant, and gone to uh Dutch Courage a couple of times as well. Um, you know, um,
0: speaking of gin, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Speaking of gin, that's <laughs> yeah. right. And, and and actually, brendan has some has some uh, a gin from the Balearic Islands, some Spanish gin uh, oh, there awesome. as, uh, as well. Uh, so I was very happy to find it the other day. But anyways, I think that what I would do is I would probably just just. Just walk out the door uh, and start running.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's kind of been gotten lost in the pandemic. I mean, amongst many other things. But this idea of spontaneity when you go out, because even now, you know, we're going to have to make reservations everywhere we go and, and plan. And so this idea of sort of just going from one place to the next and, you know, asking the bartender where should I go next, that kind of. Uh, yeah.
1: Ending at an unexpected house party. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's always where it ends, right? Yeah. That's the
1: best night, you know, when suddenly you become friends with somebody and end at some random house party. And that is, that is the kind of thing that's not really happening these days. And, right. that, and that is, I think, you know, it's the, it's the heart of, of being human. It really is a, is a, is a thing that I cannot wait to, to recover. To and, do again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, at least here you can kind of bounce from one concept to the other yeah. pretty easily at the collective. So tell people who do want to come visit you sort of what are the, Covid policies, um, when you guys are open, how to follow along, yeah. and just see what your updates are and stuff.
1: Yeah, totally. So I would definitely suggest you know follow us on Instagram. We we are very active on social media and all that stuff. And it's they handle this wine collective Baltimore. And and it, you know what we're doing here is, is 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 pretty straightforward. We try to keep things you know tables are have plenty of uh, of, uh, of spacing between them. You know, 20, we have 20-foot ceilings with commercial winery-grade ventilation. Yeah, it's We have huge. two big garage doors that are always open.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's basically like one giant tent. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, exactly. So so I think people feel pretty safe. Uh, you know, we really do strongly recommend uh, reservations, especially because with the reduced capacity, especially especially Friday, Saturday, Sundays, um, yeah, it, can, it, can get, it can get pretty, pretty full. So you know, make your reservations ahead of time. Now we have our tent outside too, and that's that's um, you know, people love that one as well. So
0: and people can sit outside under the tent or just kind yeah. of stand out there. Oh, that's people, great. There's
1: there's some seating and there's some standing room there too, and there's a few barrels where people can just. Um, that's a big part of what I want to bring to is like standing while drinking and eating. Yeah, uh, that's huge, huge in Europe, but not know, here yet. It's yeah. huge. I know, uh, yeah. but it's uh, it's it's nice. It keeps you. On your toes, yeah. <laughs> literally, <laughs> figuratively, so, and literally. Yeah, yeah.
0: And if people come in, can they they can buy bottles here as well yep. as online? Um, you guys do cocktails. You do. Are you doing uh, pinchos food? Yeah, we still? do.
1: We have a full uh, pincho menu. I mean, that's we haven't really gotten to talk about that, but you know, the food is is as close to our heart as the wine and, and the vermouth. Uh, we we put a lot of effort and thought into what we do, and the concept is basically we have very kind of specialty. Amazing, just like mostly Iberian tin fish. Yeah. Although we work with with a couple of other canneries, uh, including one in Alaska and, and a couple of others. But um, uh, and we do we do we do pinchos with seafood, with cured meats, cured cheeses. Um, we do a lot of pickled vegetables and a lot of fresh local produce. Awesome. Um, we're kind of obsessed with preservation of all sorts, whether it's like pickling or salting or canning or right. or fermentation fermenting, or whatever whatever, exactly. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's so yeah. Cool. a little bit of the Iberian Peninsula right right right. here in Hamden. Well, Enrique, thank you so much for joining the podcast and showing me around. And like, like you said, if you want to follow along, just go on their Instagram and on their website. And I just hope that as these, everyone feels safer, um, you know, these walls get filled up and everyone can just have some vermouth and and feel a little bit more relaxed than they have certainly in the past year. So.
1: (laughs) I know, absolutely. I, I really hope so. And thank you so much for having me. This is, it's great chatting with you and love showing you around and um and yeah hopefully we just get to drink uh, a lot a lot of wine and vermouth uh, cheers to that (laughs) cheers